So Merry Christmas. Well, actually, that's good. We do it backwards in in Messianic Judaism. First, we say Happy New Year, which we just did in Rosh Hashanah. And now we say Merry Christmas. What what we don't really, but just stay with me for a second. What does Christmas actually recall beyond all of the things that surround it? It recalls the birth of Jesus, right? Christ's Mass. It's Christ Mass is not really a date. It's a thing. It's celebrated in the Christian world with uh, the Eucharist and a reading from the Word. That is what the Christ Mass was. And, you know, now in the world, that day happens on a date, December 25th, which was first celebrated officially in Rome in 336. The oldest notice of the Feast of Christ's Nativity occurs in a Roman almanac. And that, that festival was observed by the church in, the, by, in Rome in the year 336. But guess what? We can't possibly begin to know that the date of December 25th is the date in which Yeshua was born. We, we can't know that. Um, you know, there's, there's zero solid info or even discussion, speculation in the New Testament about when Yeshua was born. They just don't talk about it. There's certainly a lineage and a story of the narrative of how it happened, but when isn't really discussed. And as a matter of fact, there are different dates anyway. The Western Church has December 25th. The Eastern Church has January 6th. Uh, and, but those aren't even the earliest suggested dates. The first we read is in the mid to late 3rd century from Clement of Alexandria. And he gives totally different dates for the date for Yeshua's birth. April 20th or May 20th. So Clement was fairly confused. But let's have a purposeful digression. Where did December 25th come from? Well, the easy answer and the one that you've heard before, no doubt, especially in the Hebrew roots and some of the more militant Messianic Jewish arms is pagans. Paganism. December 25th in Rome, Dies Natalis Solis in Wicti, the day of the unconquered S-U-N. That's when that was celebrated. Do you know why it was celebrated then? It's interesting. It was actually the victory of the sun over darkness. Because at that point, the nights had been getting longer and longer and longer and darkness was overtaking. But when the sun, when the day began to get longer, they, they thanked their gods that the sun, that the light was winning. That's what it means when it says the days of the unconquered sun. You know what's really interesting about that? As we find that same story in the Talmud from Adam. Anyone heard of Saturnalia? Well, Saturnalia is not December 25th solstice celebration. Saturnalia is a different festival. It had to do with the god Saturn. And yeah, it was pretty pretty tricky uh, if you were a religious person, unless you were a total pagan. A lot of bad things happened on Saturnalia. It was a pagan festival with Greek and Roman origins, but that's not what December 25th was. Saturnalia was over by then. 
Interestingly, as I said, the Talmud uses the term Saturnalia when it is talking about Adam actually starting the tradition for the very same reason I just gave you about the light overtaking the darkness. Now, I'm going to give you your money's worth today, so stay awake. I'm going to give you a lot of information because you need it. Adam also was concerned, the Talmud tells us, that he was, the world was created, the tradition tells us the world was created in the seventh month, in, in September, October. But what Adam observed over time was that the days were getting shorter and shorter and more and more darkness was coming. But all of a sudden, on December 25th, he observed that, or not December 25th, but somewhere around the, the solstice, the winter solstice, he observed that the light was actually overtaking the darkness. And he thanked God that God restored light. And he celebrated festivals around those days. Did you know that? It's incredibly intriguing to imagine that. That Adam... And Jewish tradition might have been behind the idea of this pagan thing that they corrupted. And that's what the Talmud says. The Talmud says Adam had a great idea thanking God for this. And then the pagans came along and ruined it. And turned it into orgies and drunken and all this other kind of stuff. But... And, and, it's important to note, some of the customs of the Greek and Roman festivals attached to Saturnalia and the Invictus Solus, they did get attached to the Christmas celebration. Okay? We, all that is true. But there's an argument that says that Rome was trying to make the pagans happy, so they just changed Saturnalia into Christmas, and the unconquered S-U-N became the unconquered S-O-N, and that's where it all came from, and we should, you know, hate Constantine even more. Constantine's a bad person, and he did a lot of bad things. I don't like him. But that, that isn't actually that accurate either. Because the early Christians had been persecuted by pagans a lot. They did everything they could to distance themselves from pagan activities. They weren't inviting pagans to come and switching festivals around so that they could do, uh, so that the pagans could have a greater attachment to it. They were struggling against paganism and generally they shunned those types of associations. It's hard to imagine that some church father or priest or bishop thought, I know, let's turn Saturnalia into a Christian festival. That'll work really well. So there's no real hard evidence that that happened. But we cannot deny that there are pagan associations that went through Rome, through Europe, and through Germany, and all that, that became part of it. That is a certainty. But here is a very, very interesting, different consideration as to why December 25th was chosen. I don't know how many people will know this. And yes, this is a Sukkot message, so just hang on. You're going to like this. Good, good learning here. There's a really interesting different consideration as to why December 25th was chosen. And do you know what it's related to? Judaism. 
I'm reading now from Francisco Varro, the professor of sacred scripture at the University of Navarra. A more plausible explanation sets the date of the birth of Jesus dependent on the date of his incarnation, which was related as well to the date of his death. Okay, so the tradition suggests that he was he was conceived and died on the same day, conceived and died on the same day. An anonymous reference about solstices and equinoxes affirms that our Lord was conceived in the month of month of March on the 25th. Conceived on March 25th, and that is also the day of his passion, it says, because he was conceived and died on the same day. That's from an anonymous ancient text. The relation between the passion and the incarnation, the passion, the death, and the conception of Yeshua, the relation between those things, is an ancient medieval idea, thinking which admired the perfection of the universe, that God bookended things like that. Another one is a concept that also finds its roots in Judaism, in which creation and salvation were related to the month of Nisan. The month of Nisan often happens in March. And that's true. That's true. Judaism teaches in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, again in the Talmud, Rabbi Yehoshua said, In Nisan, the world was created. In Nisan, the patriarchs were born. In Nisan, the patriarchs passed on. On Passover, Nisan, Isaac was born. In Nisan, they, the Jewish people, were redeemed from Egypt. In Nisan, they will be redeemed again in the future. In other words, the conception of the world took place in Nisan, according to this opinion. And the redemption of the world will take place in Nisan, according to that opinion. That is Jewish. That is Talmud. That is as Jewish as it gets. That's rabbinic. Do you see the connection? Let me make it. The early Christians were suggesting that Jesus' conception on March 25th and nine months later was Merry Christmas, baby Jesus, December 25th. First of all, Jewish tradition also suggests that the coming of the Messiah will happen in the month of Nisan. So by the Christian math I just showed you, Jesus' conception, his coming to the world, being conceived in his mother's womb, took place in March on, 20, on the 25th in the month of Nisan. And that was equated with his, with his coming. Is that interesting? I think so. I think so, that somewhere, just like maybe at the root of the festival of Saturnalia, something hellaciously pagan... It is also conceivable that by a Jewish understanding of redemption, salvation, creation, deliverance, that they attached Yeshua's conception to March 25th and thereby math added nine months and December 25th became his date of birth. You ever heard that? It's interesting, isn't it? Judaism undergirds almost everything, whether you know it or not. Therefore, therefore, what's, what's the takeaway? 
Well, Christmas is pagan. We stopped celebrating that holiday a long time ago and we told all our friends it was pagan and they shouldn't celebrate it either. Well, let, let's be clear here. I, I don't believe Yeshua was born on December 25th. Messianic Judaism does not celebrate Christmas. Yeah, sort of maybe because of some of the pagan affiliations, but you know what the real reason is? Because it's not in the Bible. Because there are a whole bunch of other festivals that are in the Bible that God says we should celebrate. So we celebrate those. That's the main reason. It's not so that we can walk up to somebody when they're buying a Christmas tree in the lot and go... There is a whole lot of evidence that Yeshua celebrates the festivals. We are his disciples. We are the children of God. So with all the vim and vigor we can muster, we celebrate the biblical festivals of which Christmas and Easter are not two of them. Okay? And it's especially sad, in my opinion, that the majority of the believing world misses out on the blessings of the biblical festivals, like the one we're in right now, which there is nothing better than Zaman Simchatenu, the season of our rejoicing Sukkot. But I told you all that to say two things. The thing about December and Saturnalia and Nisan and all that, to say two things. First of all, we have to be careful when we're attacking others. Thinking that we have all the answers. I have done a lot of damage in the process of attacking people. I don't have time to tell you. I wish I could tell you, but I can't. It's a, another story about me attacking somebody about Christmas and never being invited back. Can you believe that? <laughs> but I've seen, a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of damage done across the board uh, in the name of defeating paganism and Christianity. Make sure you know the whole story before establishing an attack strategy. Toward. Actually, better, don't develop an attack strategy. <laughs> better yet, let's be like Peter encouraged us to be and be humble. Humbly know the whole story. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But with gentleness and respect. There is a great joy, I assure you, in being able to say to somebody, Do you know where December 25th comes from? It's actually a Jewish idea. Did you know that Judaism undergirds almost everything you believe and everything you know and knew? Did you know that? Did you know that, that, that there are festivals of God that Judaism has celebrated that are more actually likely connected to God's son's birth? Doesn't that seem a lot more likely to attract someone to ask questions than, Christmas is pagan! <laughs> sorry, I had to yell for emphasis. I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. Now, I would eventually get into some associations about some of those things if asked. But I want to include the world. I don't want to isolate us or anyone else. And the, th the truth is, we don't actually know when Jesus was born. So to go climb a hill to die on about that is not very smart. There are a lot of other important hills to die on first. But with that, the second point, I did tell you Merry Christmas. What's that all about? Well, because there is, uh, well, I'm going to say it, an equally 
unfounded biblical case that Yeshua is born at Sukkot. Biblically unfounded. I didn't say it. there's nothing to support it. But biblically unfounded. It's very hard to prove that Yeshua was born at Sukkot. When was Yeshua born? Sukkot! Oh, well, Merry Christmas. No. What, what, what is our evidence? What is our evidence? Why does Sukkot work better? Well, first of all, it's theologically convenient. There's something beautiful about being able to say the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Ooh, Sukkot. Ooh, Sukkot. Sukkot is the season of our joy, an appropriate time to declare joy to the world. It's, it, it's joy. That's what it's about. And it very much ties Yeshua into the fall festival cycle. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret. The fall festivals that are yet to be fulfilled. And yeah, there's not a lot of pagan influence in Sukkot. So that's, that's theologically convenient. But here are some run-through attempts at uh, proving a Sukkot birth for Yeshua. And I'll admit, I love the idea, and I, 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 I subscribe. There are some potential hints. For instance, John the Baptist's father, his name was Zechariah, right? He was a priest. He served in the temple. Priests had certain times at which they served in the temple. They had their courses when they were there. So the idea is, if we figure out when Zechariah was in the temple and when they announced, Gabriel came to him and announced it, then all we need to do is that was John's conception and Yeshua was conceived six months later. We can just do the math. If we just nail down Zechariah's priestly course, we can know, and what they say is that he was in the temple at a time where it makes Yeshua born at Sukkot. Well, it's a very good idea, but it's very hard to know for certain which course Zechariah was serving in. There was more than one, and sometimes all of the priests served in the temple at festivals and holidays. It's hard to know that. You can't build your case around that math. Secondly, Yeshua was born in a sukkah because the word stable is there and that means sukkah in Hebrew. Well, it doesn't. And it doesn't say anywhere in the text that the baby was born in a stable. It says he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. But that, that actually would take us in a different direction than a stable if we think about the first century Jewish home. The typical house structure by, by the way, Gabriel Lancaster, is he in this room still? There he is. I'm borrowing his dad's notes for some of these things. Daniel Lancaster, I credit Daniel for, for some of these quick, wonderful insights. But the most, most homes in Israel had two parts. One for the family, another for the household animals. Okay, Part of the house, actually. Now, that, that animal part would have been, you know, first floor for animals, second for family. Some early traditions describe it as a cave. It's probably more like a, a cellar. But So get the picture. Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. They have relatives there, obviously. They make room for them, but there's just simply no space for them to stay with all of the parents, all of the people upstairs. So downstairs where the animals have been brought in is a feeding trough. Mary and Joseph lay him there and he, he rests. 
But sukkah doesn't really work. We can't get to sukkah from feeding trough. Okay? And so it turns out, actually, those are just two, those are two very, very common arguments, but it turns out that almost every art, well, every argument could be disproven if someone really wanted to. Bummer, dude. You're killing my vibe, Rabbi. Sukkot, man. I, I, I love Sukkot. Uh, uh, I do too. So let's make some worthwhile connections. Evidence from a Jewish perspective. John the Immerser. John the Immerser. John the Baptist. He was born six months before Yeshua. In the Gospels, John comes in the role of the spirit of Elijah. Right? What is Elijah most associated with? Passover. Pesach. And it... it, 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 it Jewish tradition maintains that Elijah will appear at Passover to announce the coming of the Messiah. Elijah is a huge part of the Passover festival. We read Malachi, the Sabbath before Passover. There's a place at the Seder table set for Elijah. And in the Gospel story, Gabriel tells Zechariah he will be mute until the day these things take place. Here's where a lot of the information comes, so just stay with me. We're, we're coming to the end here. In the Gospel, Gabriel tells Zechariah he'll be mute until the day these things take place, which will be fulfilled in their time, in their appointed time. That should take us immediately right back to another very similar story in Genesis 18. When God appears to Abraham and says, Sarah will conceive a son at the appointed time. You see the connection? A divine message, an appointed time. According to Jewish tradition, the appointed time at which Sarah gave birth was, can you guess? Pesach, Passover. And how do we know that Isaac was born at Passover, it says? Because it is written, at the appointed time I'll return to you, and Sarah will have a son. That's also Talmud. So we make these two connections. One, if the appointed time in the related stories was Passover, and if John was the Elijah to come, who is a big part of that, if John the Immerser was born on Passover, then the master should have been born six months later, which was... Sukkot. Okay? There's some Torah-based math. The Shalosh Regalim. Israel was required to go to Jerusalem for three festivals. We talked about it in the Torah portion today. Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. The city was packed with pilgrims at the Shalosh Regalim. Israel was commanded to be there. And I don't mean Israel, Jacob. Or one person. Israel. Side note, it's very unlikely, just going back to our December 25th thing, it's unlikely the city would be packed to the gills on December 25th. Okay? But who travels to Israel in December anyway? Oh, wait, we do. <laughs> That's when our trip is scheduled. Uh, but, but listen, okay, great. Three festivals. Passover, Pesach, Shav- Sukkot. It could have been any one of the three. That's true. But listen, in the countryside nearby in Luke, no, 
Luke says, in the countryside nearby were some shepherds spending the night in the fields. This is the birth story of Yeshua, guarding their flocks. When an angel of Adonai appeared to them in the Shekinah, the the Shekinah, the glory of Adonai, shone around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid because I'm here announcing to you good news that will bring great joy to the people. This very day in the town of David there was born for you a deliverer who is the Messiah, the Lord. The angels come to proclaim great joy. Now if I say joy to the world to you, what do you think of? Christmas. Christmas. In Judaism we think of Sukkot. In Judaism we think of Zaman Simchatenu, the season of rejoicing. Great joy surrounding everything. And there, there are commandments that we rejoice in this season, in the Torah. Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This is the time for great joy. And the birth of Messiah, what greater possible joy could one find? So it's a loose connection. But it's a connection. Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day. You have Sukkot, day one. We're suggesting Yeshua was born that day. Seven days for the festival. Eight days is this sort of thing in between, right? Which is Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day gathering, the festival. But what we find is if Yeshua was born on the first day of Sukkot, what would have happened on Shemini Atzeret? Snip, snip. He would have been circumcised in conjunction with yet another biblically ordained festival. Born on Sukkot, circumcised on the eighth day. What's important about eight? Eight is the number for new beginnings. Eight is this, this, this realization that something new was happening. And that is the truth of the matter. When Yeshua showed up, something very new was happening. And so we see this loose connection. Again, the culmination of God's plan. Eighth day, new beginning. The Jewish boy enters the covenant. He receives his name. That was the day at which he was named. Yeshua, salvation on the eighth day. You see? It's beautiful, right? Now those are still not evidence. They're speculative. But here's a last a last. Very interesting and sort of difficult connection to make, but it's a bit more historical. I thought, I I rarely wrestle through figuring out how to say things, but I couldn't make sense of this, so I just completely copied a blog from Daniel. (laughs) There is a story that's told, it's called called Agada the Shimon Kifa. It's called The Story of Simon Peter. It is, a, it is a medieval text. It goes along with another text. It's called Toldot Yeshu. Yeshu. These are derogatory texts from the Jewish, from, the, from Judaism toward Christianity. They are very unbecoming toward Yeshua, toward Christians, all of these things. The story of Simon Peter is one of these, and this is, this is what it says. Now, I told you the texts are medieval, but the foundation of the texts is suggested to be much, much earlier. Okay? And that matters here in just a second. 
That, that Toldot Yeshu, this other book, is, it's dependent on a second century Jewish Christian gospel. So even though it, it was sort of mass distributed later, it had been around for a long, long time. The tales of the story of Simon Peter insist that Peter was actually a false believer. That he, that he was not a believer in Yeshua, that he only pretended to be a Christian in order to save Israel from the anti-Semitism that was coming from the church. Okay, I know, just listen, it's, it's not a real text. Therefore, he is declared, and Judaism has a very positive opinion of Peter. It's actually suggested that Peter wrote one of the prayers in our morning liturgy that's called Nishmat. But he is declared a hero because he persuaded the Christians to leave the Jews alone. And in turn, he, he saved Jews and Judaism. The historical background is this. These stories came around at a time of very, very harsh Christian persecution toward the Jews. Lots of them. And legends like this were invented in the Jewish community in order to delegitimize what they perceived as one of the major founders of the Christian faith. This is Peter. Because if it could be shown that Peter's Christian faith was phony, then the entire religion could be regarded as illegitimate. And that would strengthen the Jews. So, like I said, it's not real. We know from the Gospels and the Apostolic texts we know who Peter was and what he did. But this was circulating. Now, that's, that's a little bit of the background. What they told, th this, is the, this is the way the story goes. The, the Nazarenes, the, the Jewish Christians, were causing such a problem in the synagogue that the Jews said, who's going to help us with this? This is when Peter was around. And Peter stood up and said, I will do it. I will go to them and I will confuse them dramatically and they'll leave the synagogue and we'll be delivered and Judaism can keep going. So Peter is this, this hero who goes... And in the legend, one of the things that Simon Peter says or does is to steer the new community away from celebrating the pilgrimage festivals. What were they? I just told them to you. Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Passover, the festival of weeks, and Sukkot. That he goes to them and he says this. They accomplish this because Peter goes and says to this community of Christians that they're Jews, they're Jewish Christians, goes to them and says, you will not celebrate the festival of unleavened bread anymore. Now celebrate the day of his death. Okay? Do away with celebrating Passover. Celebrate the death of Messiah. Did that happen? Yeah, that happened celebrating the death of Messiah on Passover. He also says, in the place of the festival of Shavuot, celebrate the 40 days from his execution until after his ascension to the firmament. This is the text of Simon Peter's story. So don't celebrate Passover, celebrate the death of Messiah. Don't celebrate Shavuot anymore. I want you to celebrate the ascension of Messiah. Does that happen? Yes, there's an ascension festival that happens. And lastly, listen to this. In the place of the festival of Sukkot, 
you will celebrate the day of his birth. And on the eighth day from his birth, you will celebrate his circumcision. This fictitious story is trying to credit the, the leadership of the Jewish community with, in essence, the creation of Christianity. But what kind of Christianity is that? It's the first century, still very Jewish kind of Christianity. Because this. It was still, it was still Jewish. Church history tells us that second century Christians did observe the Master's death on Passover. And all, that, all, all Christians observed the day of His ascension. But who was celebrating the day of His birth on Sukkot? Who celebrated the day of his circumcision on the eighth day? We've never heard that. Well, the source behind this seems to reflect an, area, an era before the Christian custom of celebrating in December 25th, which was 336 when we first see that in Rome. The legendary story remembers a time when believers still kept the biblical festivals, but attached a messianic significance to each one of them. Passover, death of Messiah. Shavuot, ascension of Messiah. Sukkot, the birth of Messiah. Since the believers in this story are Jewish, the legend likely provides us a glimpse of early Jewish believers celebrating the Master's birth at the festival of Sukkot. This writing, this medieval writing with a foundation in the second century, was trying to, to show how ignorant it made these Jewish Christians look to celebrate these things related to Messiah instead of the Jewish festival itself, that Peter basically tricked them into substituting these celebrations, and they excommunicated themselves from the synagogue. We know that's not true, but listen, for us, it establishes that that far back, that far back, there was this association with the believing community believing Yeshua was born on Sukkot. The early community did celebrate the death, his ascension. And it is reasonable from this text that survived all these years, forget about what its purpose was in the medieval times. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the historical precedent we find. It is reasonable to assume that there is a birth connection to Sukkot, which could be informed by the first and second century understanding. It's complicated, but it makes sense. However, it still doesn't prove a thing. I wish it did. I wish, I wish we, could, we could just say, I can't, no one can. And the truth is, though, you ready? It doesn't really matter when Yeshua was born. It matters that he was born. It matters that he died. And it matters that he resurrected. And we are in turn born again, to use some good Christian language. It's actually very Jewish language. These things, you know, I want to believe all those things. But again, keep in mind, what I really want you to understand is that there are things that we don't really know. And don't go to the mat on something as insignificant as that. However, 
I believe you can confidently move forward in your celebration of saying Merry Christmas in your sukkah. Shabbat Shalom. I'm kidding. Don't say that because that'll really confuse people. But uh, I'll leave you with this. Hag Sukkot Sameach. May God bless this time for you in this season of rejoicing. And, you know, maybe we'll make a birthday cake. Let's stand together.